Ask an Expert segment continues right now and joining me in the studio, College of Indigenous Futures Arts and Society Senior Lecturer in Indonesian Studies, <gasps> Vanessa Herman. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm well, thanks, Mel. How are you? Look really well. Lovely to have you in, uh, Dr. Herman, to talk this morning a little bit about uh, the upcoming Indonesian elections and what that means, I guess, for the rest of us. I've got friends who voted across the weekend. I was quite surprised you could vote whilst out of the country. Yes, so there are polling um, stations outside the country at public spaces like the Sydney Town Hall, at the Indonesian Consulate and other places like that, which sort of shows you that Indonesians are actually highly mobile and that they're scattered all over the world and really interested in taking part in these elections. Yes, still very much connected to the political landscape at home even though they're here um, yeah yeah i think the diaspora the indonesian diaspora actually is of becoming a really strong feature of um of life in indonesia that we now have a lot of uh, people overseas who are working who are studying and that increasingly people are spending more time overseas and still thinking about their homeland and wanting to participate in that political process so you've got huge long queues whether it's in the hague in the netherlands or in melbourne's consulate and that's amazing it's a bit of a party atmosphere as well yeah uh, this election from what i understand is quite history making well, it is because it's the first time that we have simultaneous elections. So people are voting for members of legislative bodies as well as uh, for the president. So and it's all direct elections. So Indonesia's only had direct elections of the head of state and of regional leaders since 2004. So there's still a lot of excitement around this. And who are the candidates? So the presidential candidates, uh, one is... Joko Widodo, who is the incumbent. incumbent. Yep. So he was voted in the first time in 2014. So he's defending himself for running for a second term. Is it a similar system as the US where they can go for, for multiple terms or is it unlimited to how long that they can... It's only two terms. Two terms. Yeah, so that that's a recent thing as well. When Indonesia moved towards democracy in 1998, they actually limited the presidential term to just two terms. Right. So this is... The, the last that Jokowi could um, could contest. Is he a popular president? Well, he's at the moment he's leading in the polls by about 20% uh, over the other candidate, who is Prabowo Subianto. He's a former army officer of the Special Forces. And this is the second time that Prabowo was running as well. Oh, so did he run against the, the current? So I guess yes. the difference is now people have a little bit of comparison. I guess they've seen their current president and what he's been able to achieve. That's right. So Joko is sort of... Um, become a known quantity now in terms of uh, what he's able to deliver. He's focused on the economy, on infrastructural development, but it's really on sort of legal and political reform and human rights issues that Jokowi's proven a bit of a disappointment, really. So human rights activists held a lot of hope in Jokowi Dodo being able to do something about the human rights abuses that took place during Indonesia's authoritarian rule under the New Order regime. Has that hope come to fruition? Have they seen good things? Well, he was lauded as uh, the Indonesian Obama in 2014. Right. Geez, so that's high praise. There, there were a lot of hopes yeah. in him. But uh, in actual, in actual um, fact, he's proven to be a disappointment to oh. the 
human rights community and the survivors of abuses with whom he had met before. And so, um, but the choices are very narrow. You either choose Jokowi or um, Prabowo, who is also under a cloud in terms of past human rights abuses when he was an army special forces commander. Right. And so it's really between a rock and a hard place. So in terms of the potential of Jokowi and human rights, he still represents the best um, out of the two candidates and it's very much the view of a lot of activists in Indonesia who are working in this area. Because uh, Prabowo is under a big cloud. Yes. As far so as that, he was stood down, is that right? Yes, so he was um, stood down from the army in connection with the kidnapping of pro-democracy activists in 97, 98. And he went into exile in Jordan for a number of years before coming back to Indonesia. So, of course, this becomes a campaigning point for uh, the Jokowi camp to say that uh, potentially the president could run into a lot of problems with um, these suspicions hanging over him and that these allegations need to be clarified and that the activists uh, need to be found. So 13 of these activists who were kidnapped by the special forces have not never been uh, found since. So will that be something that um, would go against him with the voting public? Uh, well, at the moment, I think there's a certain nostalgia about returning to the authoritarian period in some quarters in that right. you know, democracy is chaotic, um, it's got a lot of negative things. There's also a rising intolerance, religious intolerance. So Indonesia's minorities uh, feel under threat. And who, who would be those minorities? Uh, for example, people of Christian background, people from non-Muslim backgrounds, the um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender communities. There's been a, a moral panic, a moral panic in Indonesia where uh, behaviour like LGBT has seemed to be immoral, and so um, the minorities are really feeling under the pump yeah. as a result of. Uh, a rising intolerance in Indonesia that somehow the majority, the Muslim majority, deserves more of a of a say in the running of the country as to what that means in reality. I think it's still um, really debated and really contested. So that's why you have uh, Jokowi trying to Jokowi Dodo trying to stamp his Islamic credentials on these elections because of past accusations that he's not Islamic enough, that he doesn't represent the majority. Right. So his vice president now is a um, high-ranking cleric, Ma'ruf Amin, um, in order to demonstrate that, you know, he cares for Indonesia's Islamic majority. Has he demonstrated that care over his presidency so far? Well, I think that's where Jokowi has come under a lot of pressure and that's his response is to demonstrate that he is one of them. Right. And I guess that's part of the reason of the pilgrimage to Mecca is to... to that's where he is right now. To restate, yeah, to restate those credentials. Right. That, you know, he's on their side and he, of course, will uh, behave in favour of the Islamic majority. And do we know the um, religious affiliation of uh, Prabowo? Similarly, Prabowo also uh, is relying on the, on the Muslim vote. And compared to 2014, what's changed is there was a very big movement uh, against Joko Widodo's uh, former deputy governor, Ahok, right. or Basuki Purnama, who was the governor of Jakarta. So he was uh, 
in prison for blasphemy and he's just been recently released. So there was an attempt to couple Joko Widodo and his former deputy. To damage that campaign. To damage Jokowi's campaign uh, last year. Right. Uh, and to damage the presidency last year as well. So Jokowi's been very careful to draw a line between himself and his former deputy, Ahok, which means that Ahok's very much left in the wilderness while yeah. Jokowi pursues his uh, re-election campaign. And so that's what's changed between 2014 and now is that there was a very big campaign, uh, particularly from Islamic groups, against some statements that Ahok made in the election for the Jakarta governor, which were deemed to be anti-Islam. Is one president, is one president better than the other when it comes to those minority groups um, who are concerned? Is it a better presidency under the current or the new? It's hard to say. Yeah because you don't know what they're going to do once they're in power. So, of course, they all make various promises. Promises, yeah, <laughs> which say, is what we're hearing now in Australia as that's well. That's right. We were in an election campaign as mm. well here in Australia. So, um, it's hard to say because it also depends on what pressures come to bear on each of these presidents because um, looking back over Jokowi's presidency, you wouldn't have thought that we would be in this situation, in this context in Indonesia today, that Jokowi would be trying to appease more and more of the radical Muslim mm. voices in Indonesia as opposed to the sort of more liberal Muslims, the more um, that brand of Indonesian Islam which were uh, open and syncretic, which, you know, took in influences from uh, Javanese culture, the local traditions and things like that. It's now become a much more uh, restricted form of Islam. Why do you think that is? I think there's a lot of interest in Indonesia in the ideas of Islam. People want to explore it. And during the New Order regime, Islam was very much restricted because President Suharto was afraid of the power of Islam, right. of the mobilising power of that as a counterpoint to his rule. So he thought that Islam had the power to organise the mass of people against him as well. If you look at Islamic revolutions in the Middle East, um, he might have been looking towards Iran and other places and learning from mm. And so he was very careful to keep a lid on Islamic groups. So when he was uh, deposed, it meant that it, there was a, a flowering of interest in the ideas of Islam because they'd been suppressed before. So particularly among the middle class, there's a real rediscovery of Islamic ideas, of, you know, Islamic banking, Islamic lifestyle. How do you express um, your religion in various different ways in all different aspects of your life? So I think that's what we're seeing is a certain um, Islamic resurg resurgence in Indonesia, which is not um, necessarily unhealthy or leading to um, terrorism or things mm. like that but it's really about people discovering something that had been denied to them and wanting to uh, increase their religiosity and to have a, a, a better relationship with their God. Yeah. How do you think um, or do you think there will be any changes in relationships between Australia and Indonesia under a new presidency? It would also depend on what happens in the Australian elections. Too. That's right, yeah. So simultaneously, we may have different uh, heads of state in the two countries, we don't know. Um, at the moment, Jokowi seems to be set to win a second term. But at the same time, it really depends, you know, polling is one thing, but mm. it depends on what, how people actually vote on the day and voting from now on as well. So 
I think Australia's already signed a free trade agreement with Indonesia recently. I can't see that the broad contours of the relationship will change, uh, but it would really have to depend on what happens on election day in Indonesia and, and also here and how that leaves the balance of forces in both countries. When is election day in Indonesia? So in Indonesia, it's uh, April 17, which is Wednesday. Wow. Okay, close. Hmm. Very close, yep. And what do you think the the, the, the public um, response will be if, if the incumbent is there or if they get a new one? Do you think it will be embracing change or, or happy with the old? Well, at the last election in 2014, it was a very small margin. It was about 6%. This, uh, in 2019, the margin is wider. There's more support for Jokowi. He's got more political parties supporting him now. So the coalition that supports him represents about 70% of the vote in Indonesia. So I think that it's likely that it will be business as usual, right. i.e. another term for Jokowi. That's my strong hunch. Mm. Um, so I think that's the way it's going to be, but we don't know. At the same time, you know, Jokowi has not touched substantially elite interests in Indonesia. So it's been business as usual as before. So mm. I don't see why there would be the need to, for significant change. And so I think that I'm predicting the results in terms of what will happen with the presidential elections. But of course, Indonesians are also voting for the other legislative bodies as mm. well. So it'll, possibly it'll be a significant logistical challenge for the Indonesian Electoral Commission because they've never done anything of this scale before. No. But they've known that this is coming, so they've been organising uh, for it. There have been strange allegations of uh, ballot papers that have been oh. pre-filled, that have been found in Malaysia, that the Malaysian police is investigating. Right. Um, so there's some, you know, scandals of this nature. But no Russians involved. Um, not so far. <laughs> not so far, no. But I think, I think no matter where the elections are held across the world, there's always allegations of, of misconduct and, and corruption. And so we'll see what comes out of that. If the voting is taking place on Wednesday, apart from the voting that's already happened across the world, when can we expect um, to know the outcome? Well, it, it's, it's hard to say because there's never been this simultaneous mm. elections before. Huge. So I'm not sure how the Independent Electoral Commission is planning on doing the counting, if there's a, a priority order mm. as to how things are counted. Um, we've got, we'll have some exit poll results to sort of um, back that up in terms of what the results will likely be. Um, but it will, it will remain to be seen as to maybe, you know, within the next day or two as to how the vote count goes. Yeah, lovely. Dr. Vanessa Hearson, so lovely to have you in. Thank you so much for sharing that information with us. I think we are so close to Indonesia here in Darwin and we share such an amazing relationship. I think we should be invested in what's happening over there. Thank you so much for your time. Thank Look forward you. to talking with you again soon. Thanks, Mel.